Hey, the other night, there's a statement in recovery that says, uh, when they talk about the root of the problem, which is selfishness, self-centeredness, yes, that we think is the root of the problem. So I would like, I would say like self-centeredness represents a thought system, yeah, thought system called thinking, you know, about self or thinking you're the thinker. That's part of self-centeredness, yeah. You feel thoughts are, are claimed to be either yours, like I'm the thinker of them, or they're about you. The body's claimed to be yours, time is claimed to be yours, that's what self-centeredness is like. The movement, the first movement of a mind in self-centeredness is the claim, what's ever happening. So it claims conscious contact, that's the first place it claims, yeah. So there's seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling, and a sense of onness, that, that validates that you are, yeah. And then the mind claims that conscious contact and says, you are a Paul that has this problem and is never going to be loved, and it takes off on a story. But the whole premise of the story, which is unnoticed very quickly as the story gets speed, yeah, is conscious contact. Now, Lord Buddha supposedly said in a beautiful way, he said, when you see, see, when you hear, hear, when you feel, feel, when you taste, taste, when you touch, touch. That's conscious contact, yes? In Buddhism, they talk about the mind as a sixth sense, and it sees thoughts like the eye sees birds, you know, go by the window. But let's just stay with the five senses of the West. So, when you see, see. I mean, it is the simplest request of all time, because you don't have to do a damn thing. The seeing is already happening. So, he's just basically saying... When seeing is happening, see. When feeling is feelings, feel. When hearing is hearing, hear. When tasting is tasting, taste. When smelling is smelling, smell. I mean, there's absolutely nothing that there's any need to do. Yeah? Because the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching is constantly going to be, let's say, activated because you're in existence now. You're in what we call being. Yeah? You're engaged, you're in contact, you're conscious contact. So seeing when see, you know, see when seeing, hear when hearing. Very, I mean, you can't get a simpler request. It can't even be called a command because there's nothing to do. There's just a recognition that there's no one doing anything, literally. Now, how we hold seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching is I'm seeing that. I'm hearing the noise, the, the song. Then my mind wants to recognize what horn is making that sound. Then let's say it's an English horn. Then it wants to think about, like, you know, chasing, you know, foxes in the English moors because that's where I heard an English horn is in a movie where they had a little fox hunt. And then it goes off on all these uh, associations just with the sound. Instead of just the hearing of it, the mind kicks in and starts trying to figure out, where did I hear that before? What movie? Who, did I ever play that in school, high school band? No, I chose the trumpet. What a good idea, Paul. That was very good that you chose it. Because that sucks, that sound. And da, da, da. On it goes, and it's just selfing. Unbelievably selfing. But the selfing is based on conscious contact. Without the sound of that trumpet, I mean the horn, you wouldn't have gone off on your little chronological history of French horns or English horns. Yeah. It needs the contact. 
So the seeing and the hearing and the feeling and tasting and touching, claimed by selfing, creates associations. So what I see now is associated with what I thought I saw later, in the past. What I hear now is associated with what I've heard in the past. What I feel now is definitely associated with what I felt in the past. That's why in in recovery they describe one of those events called resentment, which means to refeel. But really, there's all re-seeing, re-hearing, re-feeling, re-tasting, and retouching, because the tasting, touching, hearing, feeling, and seeing aren't really acknowledged. What they refer to does is acknowledge, yeah? It's the one who thought it sore in the past and the one who thinks it's going to be seeing in the future. So the emphasis doesn't go on the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, because if it did, you'd be free from the bondage of self immediately. Because there's no self there to be bonded to. There's just conscious contact. Where, the, where is there a Paul? It's brought into the mix a nanosecond or a very short period of time after the contact. The mind arises and goes, Paul saw that. Paul heard that. Now in the beginning it may have done that, but now there's a belief system, so it doesn't do it anymore per se. Every thought, every everything that's seen, heard, felt, tasted, and touched is held that you're the seer, feeler, hearer, taster, and toucher. Yeah? There's like a blitz, it's like an assumption. So any seeing is immediately triggers that I'm a seer. Yeah? So it doesn't have to re- reclaim it, it's just got an automatic claiming system. It's part of the trance we're in. Because all, because all day there's conscious contact. There's new seeing all freaking day. And new hearing and new feeling and new tasting and new smelling. And it would be really busy if the mind had to keep claiming every last hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. Because there can be five events in one moment. You could be seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling something. So for it to go, I'm seeing here, it would be so exhausting, so it just has this assumption in place that you are the seer. You are the hearer. You can see it with the thoughts. You think they're, you're the thinker of them. And you think they're, they're about you. That's the bondage to it. So the thought isn't seen as a thought, it's seen as my thought. As soon as it's seen as my thought, associations trigger. What does that thought remind me of? Other thoughts, other situations, other feelings. So you're rehashing memory banks, basically. As soon as conscious contact is hit, the mind as its defense to that conscious contact goes into past. And goes relives or refeels or rethinks or resmells or retastes something. So I smell something, what does that remind me of? <laughs> Why not just have the smell? No, it reminds me. Let me think. I had that I smelled that five years ago. It was I was behind a two stroke motorcycle in Thailand and I, there's the smell. I mean, I know it now. You missed the whole event of smelling. By wanting to know it, yeah? Because knowing is dead. The smelling, something, you, you're re-engaged consciously with something else while you're thinking about that past engagement. So you're always living out of the past. Yeah. So that's the first place where it demonstrates its nature, which is the claim. That's what it does. If you want to call it the ego, I don't call it the ego, I call it the, the mind and self-centeredness. Its main movement is the claim. Whatever consciousness is in contact with. 
Not whatever it's in contact with, because it's not in contact with anything. Yes? It's not in contact with the seeing, hearing, feeling. It's, it recognizes it, and it claims it, and narrates a story about it. See, you, as that voice, is not in conscious contact. You are conscious contact. And the head has a narration about the conscious contact, which is you are what's in conscious contact. So, everything gets turned ass backwards, because conscious contact is what you are, but what the head says is you are what's in conscious contact. You as a body and a brain. And when you becomes what's in conscious contact, you are inherently unconscious to the conscious contact. Because now you just go into memory banks. Every moment you're in conscious contact, you, you actually activate unconsciousness. You just go right into the past. What does this thing remind me of? You're not saying it so much, but that's what the mind's doing. It, it, something happens and it says, what does this remind me of? It goes into its files and it tries to find a thing that it reminds of and says, oh, I know. And then an associated feeling to that remembrance arises. And you feel like it's a natural event today, but it isn't. You're reliving something. What, what is reliving but an interpretation, yeah? So what happens if I get stuck in this modality or in this groove? There's going to be some effects. I'm probably going to be irritable, restless, and discontent. I could be very unsatisfied. I could be very unhappy because I'm pretty much dead in a way. I'm unconscious to living, and I'm getting an interpretation about life. And obviously the interpretation about life le loses something because it doesn't have the livingness of it. No matter how great the interpretation, it can't capture the livingness of it. You can't capture the livingness of something. You can't interpret what it's like to swim with a dolphin. You just swim with a dolphin. You can't interpret the taste of salt. You can have 8,000 pages of interpretation, just taste of salt. You know what salt tastes like. Yeah? But without the taste of the salt, without the recognition of the taste, the best you can do is have, oh, I remember once I taste salt, and this and that and that and this. That's not the taste of salt. That's an interpretation the taste of salt. Yeah? It's so much more direct just to get the taste of the salt. Yeah? Just like when you talk about someone describe what wetness is to you. Just push you, push, someone just push you in the water. You'll know what wetness is. You won't have to have any description or an interpretation. You won't have a, a book. How to, how to determine that I'm wet? How to recognize that I'm wet? No, you'll be wet and there'll be a recognition of wetness. Yeah? Same, same. Exact same. So, with the self-centeredness as the system that we're identified with, because we're identified as its center, which is self, you cannot not be affiliated with self-centeredness if you're identified as a self. That is self-centeredness. That's the system. It's a package deal. It has a thought system. It has an interpretive system, but they're all based on past tapes. Yeah? Now, they give you a sense of security here, the mind, because... It's about I know. So everything that's new and novel becomes, oh, I know that. I smelled that before. I felt that before. I thought that before. I saw that before. I, f I, I smelled that before. I heard that before. So you get a great sense of security in this fucking place called I know. But once you, I, once you know a verb, it's not a verb anymore. You basically killed the golden goose, so to speak. The goose that laid the golden egg. Being now has become a topic to you. 
a subject. I know what's happening. How can you know what's happening? It's to know what's happening, you've missed the happening of it. Yeah? Because to know what's happening, it's now the past. And what's happening doesn't exist in the past. And it can't be retrieved from the present and put in the past. You cannot capture what's happening. No matter how much you believe in your memory, you lose the livingness of that event. You can't capture it. Yeah? Because once you try to make it into a noun, something that you can hold and know, it, it, you lose the verbness of it. And if you lose the verbness of it, there's going to be an effect. You're not going to feel satisfied, no matter how many nouns you have. You can have the noun of happiness represented by a fucking Ferrari. You can have the noun of happiness represented by having a fairy princess. You can have the noun of happiness represented by, you know, money. But the noun isn't going to equate to the verbness of living. Check it out. Haven't you seen that happen? We're in this society... What was fed to me was, if you get your outside circumstances and situations aligned, you, that will translate in you being happy. That's what I was told, yeah? If you, forget that you're being, no, no, if you can do and have yourself into becoming something, that's obviously better than the way you were, because if you were okay the way you were, you wouldn't be so intent on doing and having yourself into something else, yeah? So do and have yourself into something that's better than the way you are now. So go out there and accrue some value, and if you accrue enough value, you'll feel somewhat okay about yourself. But you'll have to go out the next day and still accrue more value, and more value, and more value, because none of the value ever sticks. Yeah. I used to go out some days, and I thought, this day isn't going to be worth anything unless I make 200 bucks. So if I made 185 bucks, no, under the bar, the day sucked. I didn't have a good day. Why? Because I didn't make enough money. Who, who set up that bar. I did. Oh, alright. That's playing God, you know. Playing God. It sets up a, a alright, this is your plan, Paul. This is, now listen to me. I know you've listened to my past plans, haven't worked out, but this is a new one. New and improved one. Go back to school. Yeah. Five years style on this plan. Go back to school. Meet the girl. Buy the house. Get the picket fence. Get the station wagon. Get the little Toto dog. <laughs> If that doesn't work out, have a baby. That should do it. And then it's going to equate to you being really happy, joyous, and free. How about now? No, 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 no. Five years from now. Okay. What am I going to do for the next five years? Put your nose to the grindstone. Get all that stuff. Do all that stuff. Have all that stuff. And then when you actually arrive, it will make all the unarrival moments okay. All the unbearability of not actually being here will be made okay when you you reach that mythical there. Now that mythical there can be an hour from now when you go get your Thai Pad Thai dish at the Thai restaurant. Your mythical there is, oh, when I go home and I can put on my little movie. Your mythical there could be a pint of Agendas in your freezer. Your mythical there could be whatever. But it's always a point of the mind claiming the fact that this moment is unbearable and I'm going to soothe this unbearability by giving you a mythical moment that when you arrive to, you'll feel better. Yeah. So really, and if you look at the map of your life from beginning to end, let's say you had 20 arrival dates, but the distance between each arrival date to the next arrival date, there was a whole lot of time you spent in the unbearability of the moment you were in. <laughs> then you arrive at the mythical point, 
As soon as you arrive there, it's obviously seen very quickly that it isn't what you were looking for, so it's replaced by another mythical there, and so the here gets invalidated until you get to the next mythical there, which is really going to work this time. And you get to the mythical there, as soon as you arrive, it turns into a here that's unbearable, and you're off and running. And if you look at it, maybe on your chronological map of time called John's Life, you'll see 15 arrivals, but they're, only, they're very far apart with years of unbearable moments waiting to get to the arrival. <laughs> if there was a game between your nature and self's, you're losing, in a sense. Yeah. Self-centeredness is winning, because you're, you're, it's occupying you like a, like a, like a territory. It's using you to express itself through. Yeah. Now, we're not saying hey, become aware of the conscious contact, because if you hear that, you will think that it's going to be you that's going to become aware of the conscious contact, and that is the deterrent to the conscious contact awareness. You cannot be aware of the conscious contact. You are the conscious contact. So we're not going that way. We're going to the point of looking at the idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, and starting to entertain maybe it's not true. And I found when I entertained that it wasn't true, I lost interest in it. Yes? Now, when some people hear the statement, I lost interest, it means like there's a certain amount of interest you have and you lost some, never to get it back. But no, you never lose the amount of interest that's in your life. What happens is you lose interest in something. So the interest gets extracted from something. It's the same amount of interest. Yeah? It gets extracted from something, and then it gets put into something else. Yeah? So you never lose interest, and you never lose attention. You just, the attention is put on something that causes you, yes, to become unconscious about the interest and attention. So when in AA it says, when you get recovered, you're going to lose interest in your selfish plans and gain interest in others. It doesn't mean you're going to lose interest. It says you're going to lose interest in your plans. That interest will be taken out of your plans and then it will be invested in other people. And what? You'll get a return from both of them. You'll get a return from investment in your little plans, which is called obsessing with self, trying to control the results, getting really resentful, having tons of expectations, opening yourself up for huge disappointments, all, all as a self. Or that interest can be put into something like being interested in your fellow man, and that will return a sense of ease and comfort now. Now, yeah, it's the same interest, exact same interest. You don't have to get an interest called spiritual interest, because there's no spiritual interest. There's just interest, and there's just attention. Where is it going to? Yeah. Most of it, no matter where it goes to, is used to reflect the idea of being a self. That's called the loop of self-importance. So your interest, let's say, is in someone out here. Yeah? But what happens is, I don't have a relationship with Anne-Marie. I have a relationship with my idea of Anne-Marie, which always goes back to this. Yes? So that's why you have 20 relationships in your life, let's say, intimate relationships. And when you go review them, you re and none of them worked, you'll find there was one constant in all those 20 relationships, and that was you. Yeah? It wasn't the 20 relationships that fucked with you. It was this... So you, Because you weren't having 20 different relationships. You were having one relationship with 20 different replacements. Yes? 
<laughs> and the relationship was with the idea you had about relationships in your head. So when you thought people were like holding, you know, holding you back and imposing their will on you, it was a pure projection. If you felt uncomfortable being with someone, it's because you thought you had to be a certain way. <coughs> they weren't doing it to you most, in most cases. Maybe they had a part in it. But most of the time, they weren't doing the damn thing. You were doing the whole dance, but projecting it on them. Yeah? That's because you were living, not at the conscious contact, but at the memories of things. So let's say you had a memory, somehow or another, the real idea of seeing the selfing is that you're not it. That's the only reason. If you start even knowing about self and you and you identify and you're identified as a self and you claim that knowledge, it's self knowledge. It will avail you nothing. Yeah, it will absolutely avail you nothing. You will only know. It will actually be more painful than ever because you'll realize I don't really even have to be this way, and yet I still can't help myself. Yeah, but this point is that is when you're entertaining the idea first that you may not be a self then to learn about self can be very, very valuable because it doesn't have to translate into self-knowledge. It can be knowledge which will lead you at least to entertain that you can be free from the bondage of self. Yeah. You, if you're identified as self, the mind that's identified as self cannot entertain being free of self. It's impossible. Its system is very structured and it's, it's not a very... It has a very defined way thoughts are in self-centeredness. And if you're identified as what's driving you crazy, you will never entertain you can be free of it, except by killing yourself. You'll get therapy for it, maybe, and maybe you'll do acts to get it, uh, its esteem, you know, more esteem. Maybe you'll take classes to socialize it better. Maybe you'll go to couples counseling so you don't rip the head off of your intimate other. Something like that. Maybe you'll learn how to go to school without flipping out. You socialize it, and maybe it'll get a little more, it'll give you a couple more links on the chain of the leash. But in fact, there's no freedom at all involved in that. But if you entertain you're not that, you can, your mind that can do that can entertain being free of it. I'm serious. And that's really one of the only things that's stopping anyone here in this room, is they haven't, their ability to entertain hasn't been, hasn't been freed enough from the identification as a self, because if your ability to entertain is claimed by selfing, and self using that ability to entertain, it will never be able to entertain being free of it, self, because that to, to it is death. Yeah? It is not going to go there. I'm serious. It will not go there. Yeah? But the, at the same moment, if that ability to entertain is freed from it, by entertaining the idea, I'm just asked, offering you a little suggestion that you may not be that, if that can take a little bit of a root, it doesn't even mean a big root, just a tiny little root, that some of your ability to entertain will be freed and you can entertain the possibility, hey, I can be free of this. Not after a five-year Stalinist plan, the problem gives me, but right now. Right now. And that it's not even a, a, any act because I'm already inherently free from it. That's the good news. If you had to become free from it, forget about it. If you had to become free from self, forget about it. The only solution that's really valuable about getting out of anything is realizing you're not in it. If you believe you're in self, there's no way you're getting out of it. Every way to get out of it is being in self. It's the same thing. 
if you're obsessing with self, and then you get the message that your problem, Sonny, is that you're obsessed with self, and then you start trying not to obsess with self, that's also obsession with self. You sign up with a two-year workshop about how to get out of self. What's that but obsession with self? Literally. If you took your little story off of it, if you looked at it from afar, you would say it's the same same. Me, in what we call being obsessed with self, and me getting out of self, both with the central of that seesaw being in and out of self, as the central hub of the seesaw being the me, they're the same thing. It's the same ride. The sea and the saw, there's no difference. One plank. See, saw, see, saw. It's a movement, so we think the movement implies difference, but it doesn't. Being in self and being out of self are the same basic thing. Realizing you're not a self is in another ballgame. Because it doesn't go to the one that ends of the sea and the saw and the movement of sea saw. It goes to the, the axis, yeah? It pulls that out, the plank drops, and there's no sea soaring anymore. You see, getting in self and getting out of self are the same. They're just movements of conditional mind. Yeah? And you see them from a place that's not in that saw or sea, and you see clearly. Yeah? That's the freedom. The freedom is in the seeing. Basically, just in the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and smelling, and touching. That's that. Yeah? That's the verb of life. As soon as the verb of life is translated into the noun of Paul seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, that's when a story occurs, and you become the star of the story. When really we're in like a... If you ever heard of the guy Cecil B. DeMille, he's a great old movie maker, we're in one of his epics, yeah? But um, what we are, as a noun, is like we're the star of like a prison melodrama, or a hospital melodrama, or another day of our lives soap show, or whatever. It goes on and on, the same rerun, all day, every day. You're the only one interested in watching it. Really. If we were here, and there was a movie theater, and I had a marquee outside, and I had, the mo- I had tonight, tonight only, the story of Paul. Yeah? New. 45 independently filmed movie. Action-filled. Swashbuckling, whatever. Now, well, who would come? About 40 Pauls with the hopes that it was about them, and maybe three women who had gone out with Pauls to get validation they were right about Paul, being such an asshole. So all these Pauls would come in, and we'd have seats, and stale jujubes, and old day-old popcorn, and smelly old theater, and then knowing I'm the only one who knows that it's going to be about me, so I'm keenly interested in it, and I wanted to see other people subjected to watching it. You know? So the door's locked, and the light goes out, and everyone's very, they're incredible. The whole place is a buzz. The whole, everyone's talking. Oh, yes, I hope I was wearing those nice clothes in the movie. They're all, oh, I hope they caught me that day. I was, yeah, when I caught that wave. They're all speculating, what wonderful event of my life is going to be caught in celluloid, and everyone to see it. Wow, this is my night. So we're all watching it. And then after about two minutes, three minutes, the people start figuring out it's not about them. Yeah? I'm totally captivated. This is about me. So now they, they're looking to get out. These are, and they start recognizing the whole shitty of this. This place smells. These jujubes suck. Before they didn't notice it. Because they were totally obsessed with how wonderful it is I'm going to be a cook. Hey, this is terrible popcorn. Let me get out of here. Yeah? But the place is locked, and then I'm sitting there, and I'm going, and I'm narrating the whole movie to them. They're bored stiff. All right, the phone's going to ring. 
It's 10.30 in the morning. Is it the fairy princess? Is it that new job? Is it, is it that, did I win that vacation of Costa Rica? Everyone's like, oh, fuck this. This is so fucking boring. Why is it, why is that? Why am I totally into it and none of them are? Because it's simply not about them. You want an immunity to thought? Hold it as not yours. Really, you really want freedom? Lose interest in yourself. You don't lose the interest. The interest will be of freedom. You won't lose interest, but you'll lose interest of yourself. That's the freedom. Yeah? So that same thing that you've been listening to all day, if someone you know came over and shared just like three minutes of it, you'd be, you'd be bored stiff. What is it, why is it you have immunity, or like a sponsee, you, you pontificate great wisdom? Oh yes, like Solomon, yes, that would be stupid of you to do. You should reconsider that, go help someone. But you're running the great old plan yourself, in your head, exact same thoughts, but you're taking them to be incredibly creative and genius-like. You're totally insane. You need supervision, but you're just like going off on it. Why is that? Why is one, and they're just thoughts, aren't they? Literally, they're thoughts. They're thoughts. What's the difference in them? My. What does my represent? The act of identifying. My represents the act of identification. A thought is a thought until my is held, until it's held with the my, the coupling of the my, now it makes it your thought. And as soon as your thought, it's your thought, a large amount of interest goes to that thought. Yes? That interest may have been in conscious contact, it may have been in whatever, feelings of joy, may have been in feelings of peace and serenity, that interest is called to the beckoning of the tyrant self, and now that interest and that attention goes to every one of those thoughts that is claimed to be yours. And they are driving what you call you crazy. And it's not the thought that's driving you crazy. It's the identification. Because the identification takes the interest and the attention and subjugates it to the self's will. That's what it does. So self now has your life and your will yeah, because of the attention and the interest that it has sucked into its little black hole. And our, our don't, doesn't it drive you crazy at times when those thoughts, all your in interest is on those thoughts? You'd do anything to have it turned away. You try to eat ice cream, you watch a movie, you even help another person, you'll go out and take a walk, anything to break this trance, like bondage to the, the selfing, yes? What happened? The interest has been bonded, not by the thoughts, but by your mind your mind being identified with the idea of being a self turns over the interest and the attention, turns over the ability to give meaning to things, turns over the ability to entertain possibilities over to the system called self-centeredness. And in this system of self-centeredness, there are very limited possibilities. You've gone through every one of them already. You have tried every possibility self-centeredness has offered. All of its saviors, you have tried. The boyfriend, the this, the geographical move, the da, the dee, the da, the da, the da. You've tried that, but you've been over every inch of self-centeredness. It's a very small system. And all you're doing is rehashing it over and over and over again. It's like someone 
has you on a lap, on an oval, and you're racing, you're running these laps, 500 of them, and all that happens is every few laps, a crew brings new props and new scenery, so it looks like it's different. And maybe they put, oh, there's Bob in the stands, and then you run, and it's the same person. Oh, that was Steve, you know, but it's the same, same. Over and over and over again, of course you're flipping out. You're unhappy as hell. And then we're socialized to hunker down in it. And then by the mere, you know, the little perks they offer here, they give us some semblance of relief. All right, here's a plan for 800 channels. You can have, you can have eight football games going on at the same time on one screen. Oh, fuck, great. That's, I, that's what I've been looking for. Sure. Or, you know, whatever. Whatever it is. What it is, but it's a distraction. So what? So your attention and interest can go somewhere else other into this. Yeah. But what's directing where the attention and interest goes? Selfing. And the selfing uses every bit of attention and interest that's distributed anywhere else to reflect self. It's called the loop of self-importance. So the interest and attention is still locked up and hijacked by the selfing. So maybe you jump off a building or you ride a 30-foot wave, and then it gets cut, and your interest and attention gets freed, but as soon as you get on the beach, it's recoupled. Hey, did you see me out there? Hey, uh, yes, I'm a real surfer now. Yeah, baby. I got billabong gear. Oh, yeah. Immediately it re-identifies, yes? Constantly, constantly. So your attention and interest... So now your attention and interest isn't in the session of surf, but how good you did. How many waves you caught? Who caught a bigger wave? That guy fucking got in front of me on takeoff point. Whatever. Yeah? Gets to be the same, same. Same, same everywhere. Interest and attention just under the fucking tutelage of selfing. How are you going to break that? You can't. Not as a self. Any way, any act to get out of that is being in it. You can't, you don't understand. It has you. A movement this way, it has you. A movement away from it has you. It's like that thing in the jungle, uh, like a predator in the jungle that prey knows the predator when it has it by its neck. Yeah, okay. But this selfing as a predator has you by moving away from it. When you try to get out of self, that's being in self. Yeah? So in selfing, as a self, there's no fucking escape. You getting in it and you being out of it are the same. Same, same. The idea is dropping out of that. If I'm not that, that's the solution. I don't have to get out of it because I was never in it. Yeah? So both of them get negated. The, the, the belief that I was in it gets negated, and then the reaction of selfing that I was in it to get out of it gets negated. I was never in it, so there's no need to get out of it. That's the solution. Yeah? Selfing will say, all right, I'm in self, yes heard the message in recovery, yes, self is the root of my problem, I'm self-obsessed, okay, so now it recognizes what it's in, yeah. it doesn't recognize it's identified as self, it recognizes that it's in self, yes, now the identification of self goes, alright, what's my only solution to being in self, obviously, is to get out of self, yeah, so now it practices and works really hard to get out of self, and there'll be different effects when you're out of self than into self, that give you a sense that they're truly different. But the underlying root is the same. They're all selfing. Because why? You're identified as self when you're in self, 
and you're identified as self when you're out of self. Yeah? It's you who's out of self, and it's you who's in self. That's called the identification of self. You see how you can't escape here? You cannot escape from an imaginary prison. You can, will not get a solution from, by, a, by applying a solution to an imaginary problem. Yeah? You will not get relief from an imaginary problem no matter how many solutions you apply to it. The true relief is recognizing it's imaginary. Yeah? And it has nothing to do with doing or having, it has to do with seeing. I don't mean seeing just visually, I mean seeing, knowing. Yeah? And your mind and your you what what you are is totally, totally, totally able to entertain that seeing. But it's been shrouded or covered or saddled with the idea of being a self. So that entertaining gets muffled because it's interpreted as I, as the self, am entertaining this. And therefore you can't entertain freedom. So what do you have to do is go back into the marketplace of solutions and try a new super... I read a, we read a thing on, a, what was that called? Radical Buddhism? Faster, harder, more extreme. The darker the age, the lighter the... I swear to God, it sounded like I was getting fucked or something. Darker, more thrusting power, more extreme Buddhism. And it had Buddha with his hair blowing back, you know, like really extreme, like going 120 miles per hour. And it was like, in dark, the darker the age, the lighter whatever the solution. Come on. You don't see the confinement of selfing in that? i got to get so much speed to get away, that's even more in it. I've got to break. I've got to break the speed of sound to get away. No, you ain't getting out of it because how can you get out of what you've never been in? But you experience the feeling of being in, yeah. And then you experience the feeling of getting out, but the underlying deeper experience is being in. So in fact, the whole deeper experience is being in, in the in and out. Yes. And any out you get is only usually temporary. You never get a radical out. You'll hear people share at meetings. They'll share freedom, and they always bookend it with, oh, but I'm still crazy. I'm still this. They always, always pledge allegiance to the self-centeredness. The freedom, yes, yes, but as long as I had it, and now I'm not having it, then I can share about it. But to be free is a different story. So, being in self and being out of self are two sides of the same coin. The coin of the realm of self-centeredness. Yeah? If the identification is in, is in place with self, you will entertain, someone will point out to you, you've been in self for a long time. You'll get that, and then you'll attempt to get out of self as a self, and that's being in self again. <laughs> so the, someone will sell you a map. All right, we know where the breakout point is. There's an escape hatch right there. So you will climb upstairs, and, and you hey, come on, we got it. And it says escape hatch. So you believe it's an escape. You open up and you think you now escape. That's just another dimension of the imaginary prison. Every escape leads to the imaginary prison. How can you escape from an imaginary prison? Being in the prison of imagination is trying to escape all the time. That's how you're in. Trying to escape it all the time is how you're in the prison. Then what do you think seeking is? Seeking is trying to escape from the condition you think you're in right now. And seeking never fucking ends in self-centeredness. 
You're constantly seeking escape from what you think you're in. Has it worked? No, because you're still seeking. So obviously you see the seeking is how you are actually in prison. The mind, convinced by self, thinks it's the way to get out of prison. We have been duped, so to speak. Yeah? Because our attention and interest has been totally put away from the real point of direction of inquiry, which is, who am I? Who is this that's incessantly trying to seek? Who is it that needs to seek? Who is it thinks, that thinks this is so bad that is constantly looking around for a solution to it? Who is that? What you'll find is, that is the act of the problem. That is the verbing of what I call self. And if I'm not that, that's your solution. You realize the problem is imaginary. Poof! To have the instant effects of the solution when you realize the problem is imaginary is instant. You will not get relief a year or two later. You'll feel some now. You may override it immediately, but you'll feel something. That's why when people who come in here for the first time and hear this message, the light goes on. Now when they go home and think about it, the light gets dim. Because they believe they have control over the switch. Yes? It's on and off by what I do and have. No. The light is inherently, incessantly on. But if the self goes there, the self is all about options. It's about in and out, close and far, connected and disconnected, and all of them are based on what it did or didn't do, or what it had or didn't have. They're all increasing the relevance of self. Every interpretation, the interpretation of you getting out of self is increasing the relevance of self. Your interpretation of being in self is increasing the relevance. You know what relevance means? The importance of it. We have this ability to give meaning to things. Yeah? That's what we do as an apparatus. What's the biggest meaning you could give anything? The, what is the biggest meaning? If you can give meaning to things, what would be the most important or biggest meaning you could give, any, you give, you could give to anything? What would be the biggest meaning? Well, <laughs> thank you for that participation. What I would say is the biggest meaning I could give anything is that it's me. Yeah? So the mind that has the ability to give meaning has given a thought that it's entertained the biggest meaning that anything could be given. And I mean bigger than God. Yeah? Because who knows God? You. Or who doesn't know God is you. So I guess the you is bigger than God. If it's the one who chooses if it's going to know God or not. <laughs> yes? So the biggest meaning I can give anything, or not I, but that mind, can give anything is that it's me. And that's what it's done. It's given this little thought called I, me, my, the meaning that it's you. And therefore your interest and attention almost are ordered in a sense to go there. And it's to... To, to make the feeling that something that's unreal is real, a lot of attention and interest has to be given to it. Yeah? Something real doesn't need any interest or attention. It's a revelation. You just know. You get it. Yes? Actually, your interest in it and attention probably keep you from seeing it because they've been already hijacked by selfing. Yeah? It's just obvious. 
But something that isn't real needs a lot of attention and interest to appear real, doesn't it? It needs a lot. In other words, if it's an artificial light, there's going to be a giant electric bill. <laughs> You're going to have to keep pumping electricity into it to make it seem like it's illuminated. Yes? That's what interest and attention does. Our attention and interest illuminate this false light called selfing. That's why when you'd like it to turn off at night, it's still on. Because selfing is a never-ending job by the mind because it doesn't exist. Yeah? It doesn't exist. So it has to keep making it seem like it exists. It's, it's like it's overtime, constantly overtime, working, 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 working. Truth is very relaxing because it's just an acknowledgement of what's so. Yeah? You, there's no interest and attention needed to make truth seem true. You can be totally obsessed with self and be totally identified as self, and this, if this breaks through, it doesn't need any of your interest or attention. It just, ping, the whole ball game's over. Yeah. Now, what's cooler is that the interest and attention from that point on starts going there. Yeah. And I would say it naturally is inclined to when it's released from bondage to self. It naturally is inclined to go back to its source because its source is infinite. So there's never a loss of interest, nor is there never a loss of attention. It's just like if you weighed the ocean, it would weigh the same if it's low tide or high tide. If you weighed the ocean, it would weigh the same if it was either low tide or high tide. Perceptually, it looks like there's less ocean when it's low, but that's just a perceptual appearance. It's not true. If, and on high tide, it seems like there's more ocean, but there isn't. There's the same amount of ocean. Yeah? So interest and attention aren't lost. So if they're free from just attending to this incredible illusion of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, if you took one second and stopped, you would realize it's so, so bogus. If it, that thing is freed from there, your interest and attention now just circulates. Like AA, they say you have it by giving it away. That's like, so you give away your attention by doing service, yes? And then you have it by giving it away. Yeah? You give away your attention. You say, hey, instead of attending to me all day, I'm going to help this other person. And I'm going to hold the space for them. By giving their, your interest, not you are not doing it, but your interest goes to them and your attention goes to them. What do you feel then? Much lighter and much more happy, don't you? Exactly. Then your interest and attention is serving life, not serving the black hole of selfing. And you'll be the better for it. You'll travel lighter. By giving, because you're living by that sense of, I'm, giving, I'm having it by giving it away. See, all my attention interest is on me, it drives you fucking crazy, doesn't it? When you let it go, that's what flipped me out. I was in a drug and alcohol program two years, right? That's how fucking crazy I was. I had to be subdued for two years. They had to watch me right down the street, 8th and Fulton, two years, 20, constant supervision told me what to do every day, everywhere. <laughs> when I graduated from there, I remember I thought about it, what had happened, you know, and I didn't like the lady who ran it. She was a psychiatrist. I didn't like most of the people there, you know, the head people. And I didn't really like the place so much, but I had to grudgingly admit that my life looked better with them running it. Yeah? Now, I was always under the illusion that my self-interest was a promoting factor. 
that it was going to facilitate my promotion in life, that it would lead me to good, better things. But I realized that I could turn my life over to a dog catcher, and they would do a better job with it than I would. And I could look around this room, and I wouldn't turn it to everyone in this room, but if I turned my life over to some of the people in this room, I know that they would do a better job with it than I did. Now that flipped me out, because I really believe that if I have a lot of interest in me, and a lot of attention goes to me, that will promote me, but it did the exact opposite. And when I gave it to someone who had no interest in me, they did a much better job of my life than I did. And I'll tell you something, the play, being placed in a position of neutrality, it has no interest in you. That's why it's beautiful. Life has absolutely no interest in you as a you. It's totally neutral about you. And that's how freeing it is. If it was bias, you'd be fucked. Because you'd be in the game of duality. Shit would have to hit the fan if you got relieved from some shit. But neutrality is beautiful. It's totally freeing. Because yeah? it doesn't have an opinion either any way. It's just unwavering. Yeah. So beautiful. So that blew my mind. Really did. I said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I was like my own worst enemy out there. Exactly. Every day I was promoting myself, I was like, <laughs> I was digging the hole deeper, thinking I was, you know, going. I was building a castle. I was actually digging a hole. Mind-boggling. I could not believe how I was missing certain things that caused a lot of suffering. I didn't realize the in and out of things. I thought I was getting out of self, literally, for years. I didn't realize I was in it totally, completely. Not obviously, really, but in an illusion. All my getting out of it, I was in it. I was on probation. I thought I was so bad when I got sober, I had to be good for like five years. I can't do anything. Because I really believed I was bad, so I had to try to counteract it by being really good. That's the same, same. There's no freedom in that. Of course, if you want to be really good, you're going to blow up. You're going to run and get the porno or something. Because it's got to it's gotta leak out because it's like a pressure cooker. You're, you're, like, you're playing God and you're... <laughs> you weren't good. You weren't good enough. You didn't help enough people today. And people know when you're trying to help them to prove something to you. They, they pick it up energetically. You know, there's a guy I was working with somewhere else and he was really being good to a lot of people, but no one was sort of going along with it because they could, he was trying to be good because he believed he was bad. He was trying to be good to negate the badness. You didn't see it. It's the same thing. And people who he was trying to help smelled it a mile away. They could feel the shit. They, didn't, they knew he, they weren't trying to help him, them. He was trying to help himself by helping them. That's, see, the place of neutrality creates the greatest service because you really don't care. Not the way we care here, but that, what we would call not caring is the most beautiful, loving state. You, you see the person just as they are because they're not. It's totally allowed to be exactly as they are because they're not. It's so beautiful for you. Yeah. Totally not out, you know, so... Any questions today? Hey, and also, 